Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and before we get to today's main topic of discussion with Jack Clacy of the Kankakee County Museum, we're going to hear another Kankakee Community College success story. Hello, I'm Jessica Fredericks, the Professor of Education at KCC. At KCC, I am in charge of curriculum and instruction decisions regarding all the courses related to becoming a teacher in the state of Illinois. When I was in high school, I loved history and I wanted to be an archaeologist. I actually was scheduled to attend North Central College in Naperville on a scholarship, academic scholarship, uh, to become an archaeologist, an anthropologist, and then life happened and I was not able to attend the university due to financial reasons. So I decided to go to KCC. I was so glad that I could stay and live at home with my parents and really think about what I wanted to do. Maybe I would have gone to university, but I don't know. It's tough to say. I was just so grateful. It definitely reduced my stress level when I was able to stay home, take classes, and there were wonderful professors here at the time. Many have retired, but some of them were just so instrumental in helping me kind of down that path. I'm so grateful that I had that option. I was able to graduate from undergraduate without any student loan debt because it was so affordable and scholarships were available. And so it just, it was just a great overall experience for me. A former high school counselor gave me an idea once. He said, I think you'd be a really good teacher. And at the moment, I was like, absolutely not. But then I started thinking about it a little bit more. And I was like, well, I do like working with people. Um, I love when I help someone understand uh, a new idea or teach them a new skill. And it makes them have that eureka moment. So then I switched gears and I started going down the road towards being a high school teacher, which I actually ended up being a high school teacher. So I was a high school social studies teacher at Hersher, and then an opportunity came available at KCC to be an administrator. And so I took the, the leap of faith. It was very scary because I loved being a teacher in the K through 12 age uh, range, but I just knew if I didn't leave, uh, I would never leave. So I jumped and I have been here since 2006. I was hired to train teachers about our online course management system with 
at the time was called Angel. We now have Canvas. And I would lead training sessions, small group, large group, one-on-one. -on -one. I was in charge of training everybody on campus to learn how to use the phone or Microsoft Office Suite or the room scheduling software or the Scantron machine or whatever they would throw at me. I would just have to learn it and then teach it. And then uh, one of the former vice presidents uh, during our interview process, my interview process, noticed one of my future goals when she asked me, what do you want to, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? I said, well, I would like to train future teachers how to teach. So I said, I know I probably won't be able to do that here, but I had visions of going to ISU because that's where my undergrad degree is from or somewhere and becoming part of their curriculum department, uh, instruction department. And she remembered that. And after, I think it was two and a half years, um, I was asked to be the first professor of education at KCC and I was like, just like it was the greatest day. Um, I was so excited, probably cried. I was so excited. Um, and I've held that position since then. So August of 2009, and it's it's been wonderful. So many of our former students are now teachers in the area. So I've been able to build that kind of relationship with them. So when I need students out in the field, I can just email or Facebook message someone and say, do you mind having one of my students in your classroom this year? And they're like, sure, send them over. I have so much love for KCC. I, it's almost like I want it to succeed so badly and I probably wear my KCC stocking cap. There's so many great people that work here and have worked here over the years. It's just like a, a package. Like it's this, I can't, it's not just one thing. It's like this all-encompassing thing um, and it's been a big, a huge part of my life. It really set me in the right direction for what I needed to do and where I needed to go and I just want to give that to all the students that come through my door. I'm like paying it forward, I guess, to make sure that they have the best opportunities for them and that when they're done, they can smile and feel good about themselves um, as they move forward. You can help create a KCC success story like the one you heard today by giving a gift to the Kankakee Community College Foundation. Give now at foundation.kcc.edu. And now we'll get to today's episode with Jack Clacy of the Kankakee County Museum talking about Gougar's Grove. It's great to have you here, Jack. And for those that happen to be listening to this episode before the end of 2022, we encourage everyone to go to the Kankakee County Museum to see the gallery of trees. It's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see because all these different non-for-profit organizations in the county get together and they spend a lot of time decorating these Christmas trees. It's our version of, let's say, the science and industries. Christmas around the Christmas world. Around I think that's what the they world. used to call it and they still do. Right? Yeah, it's pretty much Kankakee County's version of that. Instead of Christmas around the world, it's Christmas around Kankakee County pretty much because all of these organizations are from different parts of the county. So go check those out. Bring the kids. Go around the whole museum. We actually attract several thousand visitors every December for this. And it's that's plus the uh, introductory uh, dinner that op opens up the the event are, is our biggest fundraiser of the year, so we always appreciate it. There's, uh, we 
happily take donations, of course. <laughs> yes, right. We encourage everyone to donate what you can uh, to the museum because there is uh, quite a bit of overhead, right. uh, older buildings and things like that. So <laughs> roof repairs, I know, has been a, a thing okay. as of recent at the museum. So Just one idea is the Bain Museum itself has seven different furnaces Yeah, <laughs> of varying ages. So occasionally it seems like it's, every once in a while we have to replace another furnace. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. there's so many additions yes. to mm -hmm. the, the original building that's there. I know another thing that was unveiled earlier this fall was the new mural in the courtyard. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Who did uh, that mural? Diana Crowley, who is our... Uh, curator, collections person, and so forth. And she has an art background. She actually used to teach art and came to work for us as a curator and uh, came up with the idea that we really needed a, an attractive mural in that uh, courtyard off the Centennial Room, which is where everybody comes into the museum. And she did a fantastic job. Yeah, she did. I didn't know it was her. <laughs> yes. I did, I've been wondering this whole time who it was, and I didn't know it was uh, Diana. She's an amazing artist. Yes. So let's get to today's topic, Jack. What are we talking about? We are talking about uh, the man who essentially was Kankakee's tourist industry for about a 40, 30, 40 year span. Uh, his name was William T. Gauger. Uh, no one around town basically as Captain Billy, mainly because he ran a fleet of ex excursion steamers up and down the river. He also had a uh, a large picnic grove out toward Aroma Park, and we'll touch on all of those topics. But Captain Gallagher, you know, we've talked currently, tourism has been in the news around here with one way or another. And essentially, in the late 1880s or mid 1880s through about 1915, as I say, Captain Billy and his enterprises were essentially the tourist industry in Kankakee, brought thousands of people here. He was born in Will County in 1841. Anybody who's familiar with Joliet area in Will County knows there's a Gauger Road there, and that was his family. I was wondering <laughs> that. That's the first, literally when you brought up Gauger's Grove before, that's the first thing that came to my mind because I have been on Gauger Road a billion times over the years, and I always wondered if there was a connection. <laughs> so there is a connection. Yeah, his so family farmed there. Okay. And uh, he came to Kankakee in 1863. So he would have been a young man, 20s, in his 20s. Yeah. Initially, he got into the grain business, I think, buying and selling grain. And then later uh, was a coal man, had a, had a coal yard and so forth. Both quite successful businesses, but... Coal yard just selling coal to people? Yeah. So you, yeah, the, that the coal was, would come in from a coal the, mine? The and, mines, right. And he, it would, he would sell it to householders and so forth because coal was the primary heating source during most of those days before natural gas and so he's, uh, electric came in. People are picking up their coal from him or maybe right. he's delivering it to their houses right. probably, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. A horse mm -hmm. and buggy, I imagine, oh, yeah. just like ice. Yes, Delivering right. the ice. Yeah. The, yeah, it was a different economy from what we used to. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. No internet, among others. No. No <laughs> uh, phone. And no phones. No well, phones actually, after yet. about the, by the late 1880s, 1890s, we had telephones here. So he, he came here in the 1860s. Right, in 1863, basically. And it took him, uh, well, maybe about 20 years before he uh, got into the tourism business, actually. I think his other two businesses compelled uh, his attention for about 20 years, but in... The middle of 1883, 
He bought a 22-acre plot along the river about halfway between Kankakee and Roma Park, which was called Waldron at that time. Eventually, that grew to about 80 acres. It was a pretty good-sized operation. And he started developing that as a, a picnic grove. Picnic groves or resorts in some cases, were very big at that time because a lot of families and a lot of organizations would like to get out in the country and, uh, you know, spread out and have uh, all kinds of picnic activities and so forth. And so that's where he started. And in that same year, there was another item of news that would eventually become important to uh, tourism and to Gauger. James Lilly, who was the contractor building the state hospital. But anyway, James Lilly built a small steamer, 72 feet, I think, long by 12 wide, built and launched it from the state hospital grounds. And it was a side paddle steamer, a steamer, a steamer. And he, it was a workboat as far as what he built it for. It would go upriver to Roma Park area up along the Iroquois and pick up barges of sand that were being used in construction of the, the state hospital. So it would tow them down and so forth and go and back They would for need more. sand for what? Concrete Con or mortar? Yes, mortar and so forth, yeah, because it was mostly stone buildings. Their foundations were... Lime, it's mostly, it was most of those original buildings are limestone, the too, native right? limestone from this area, yeah. yeah. Beautiful stuff. Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. And it was plentiful because there was uh, more, uh, tons of limestone... <laughs> quarries around the area oh, yeah. and there still is but not as probably not as many as not as many as there time. were yeah yeah and so uh, Lily named the book the boat the starry queen for some reason on no one knows why it's kind of funny you name a work boat the starry queen <laughs> <laughs> then somewhere later on i think toward the end of the summer of 1883 he renamed it the mini lily and I assume Minnie was a member of his family somewhere. I don't know precisely, but uh, was in honor of somebody in the family, I'm sure. I haven't got a precise date, but sometime in 1884, probably in the late spring or early summer, Billy Gauger became the owner of the Minnie Lily. And we don't have any documentation, but this local legend says that uh, he won it in a poker game <laughs> from J from James Lilly. <laughs> oh, I love those stories. So he put... <laughs> I'll see you at Raise You Two and your, and your boat you know, or something. Yeah, yeah. I just imagine this smoky back room somewhere in Kankakee and you've got all these prominent businessmen getting together for their weekly poker game, right. smoking cigars, drinking brandy. That's right. And they've got everything on the table at this point. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to put my my steamboat up for, up for bid here as collateral. That's right. So therefore, in 1884, William McGarger actually became Captain Billy at that point because he had a boat. And uh, the Mini Lully was uh, his primary boat for about 15, 20 years, I think. I'll, I'll pin it down later. But it was a sidewheel steamer, had... Uh, paddle wheels on both sides, and I think they were like eight feet in diameter or something like that, and it could hold several hundred people. He based it down at what is now, would be underneath the Schuyler Avenue Bridge right now, at the foot of Schuyler. The Schuyler did not, the Schuyler Bridge was not built until the mid-1950s, but in the 1880s when uh, Gauger was running his boats, there was a place called Sheikey's Landing, or Sheikey's, S-H-E-K-E-Y-S, landing at 
what would be the foot of Schuyler Avenue. Between there and the IC tracks was a, a large sawmill, uh, it was Wenzelman's Sawmill, probably the same Wenzelman family that's been in Kankakee County for years. Okay. <laughs> People desirous of having a boat ride would come down to Shakey's Landing and climb aboard, and he did regular runs up and down the river, primarily, of course, obviously to Gauger's Grove, which he was busy developing. As time went on, as I mentioned, he was kind of the tourism business in Kank. He did a lot of excursion business. In those days, especially out of Chicago and urban areas, people wanted to get out in the country, get out from under the smoke and ugly conditions sometimes of the cities and spend some time in the country with fresh air and all that sort of thing and good beer and things of that sort. Yeah, and as uh, we've mentioned in, in previous episodes, you know, the 1800s, Chicago is just a pollution mess from right. so many different things, especially the slaughterhouses. Right. And it's uh, just stinky, smelly, and smoggy. Just burning all that oil, uh, coal. Yeah. Too. That's what everybody was burning coal at the time. Yeah. And I think it was probably a soft coal, which is really smoky. Oh, yeah. There would be excursions. It might be, you know, 50 people. It might be 300 people would come down on the IC or the, or the big four, the New York, what later the New York Central Line. And then there were carriages that ran from both depots down to Sheiky's Landing. And people would climb aboard and he would uh, ring his bell and off they would go. And the, I mean, that's perfect right there where Shakey's Landing mm -hmm. was because in the grand scheme of things, that's not that far from the Kankakee Train Depot, right? Right. Where for a the lot IC, of these people... Yeah, the IC were, Depot would only have been like six blocks away. I yeah. Think, yeah. And the uh, the Big Four Depot was at, at uh, Cypress and... Uh, and Fifth Avenue, roughly in that area, so that's not so that far further, either. a little further, but still not far, yeah. That's right. It was, what, one fee for all your transportation from Chicago all Generally. the way to yeah, Kankakee, and, and then that would right. cover your, your steamboat ride on Captain Billy's boat. Yeah, right. and, and, yeah, they're usually what were called excursion rates, which are a cut rate kind of thing if you were booking, you know, 200 people at a time or whatever. Interesting sidelight. Just about uh, two weeks ago, I think, the column that I ran at the journal that touches on this, the anchor of Gauger's boat, and we're not sure whether it was the Mini Lily or the Margaret, we're kind of thinking, we know for sure we have a picture where you can kind of make it out on the, on the bow of the Margaret in one picture, but a several hundred pound anchor had a, quite a story. <laughs> in the 60s, it was stolen as a college prank. It used to sit out in front of the museum. Oh, really? The yeah. Kankakee County Museum? Yes, uh -huh. The anchor did? Yeah. How, how big was that anchor? It's about three feet long, weighs more than 100 pounds. It's pretty substantial. A bunch of college kids stole it as a, as a prank, and it ended up in a uh, fraternity house in Denver for some reason. Uh, and eventually, the guy who was the ringleader of the uh, you know, fraternity, fraternity or, the, or of the, the anchor stealers, anyway, moved on somewhere. But somebody who was in Denver, he wasn't a student, but he had some connection with Kankakee, originally from here, I think. Uh, somehow he learned of, of that and, and that the at one point that the fraternity house was going to be torn down and they were going to scrap it because it remained behind even though the guy who stole it had moved on. Sure. So this fellow who remains nameless, although he did a good thing rather than a bad thing, acquired the anchor and it followed him around all kinds of places for 
Evans what? Ever since the late 60s, or mid to late 60s, he lived in Denver. He lived in other places in uh, Colorado. He was in, actually went, lived in Hawaii for a number of years, and the anchor went along with him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, eventually, he came back to California, and it was in California up until August of last year. No, August of this year. There's a family in town that were related to this gentleman who kind of talked him into saying, look, it ought to come back to the Kankakee County Museum. And this family's asked to be anonymous because sure, but I one of the members of it wrote this charming, really interesting narrative of the travels of the anchor, told from the anchor standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> and That's uh, funny. It is. And in uh, we October— We should publish that as a little— book or something. Yeah. yeah, we actually, I did the, the whole text of it in my column. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. okay. And in October, the anchor came home to Kankakee Museum, and it's now a prominent part of our uh, Kankakee exhibit, the, our main exhibit on the story of Kankakee County, resting next to a couple of models of uh, Gauger steamboats, which it used to ride around on. There's so many different things at the museum. I guess I've never paid attention to the anchor or thought about it yeah. or until now. But now I want to go back to the museum just to see this anchor. Yeah. You know where the paddle wheel is there? Uh, yeah. 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 And the, and the model of the of the hotel mm-hmm. sitting right in front it's of right the, there, right next to the paddle wheel. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of it's kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you got the anchor back after the 1960s? Yes. It's a long time ago. A long time to be wandering around in the the story is just really cool uh, that you know this family wrote, and it uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun sidelight of local history. Yeah, and I, I was amazed. I was just I had some photos of the uh, of the Margaret underway in the river, you know, at, at one day, and I, when we were doing this, and I thought I'm going to see if I can find it because normally an anchor of that type would be carried on the bow of the of the boat, uh, and I said. I'm going to see if I can see any indication of it. So I took the, the photo into Photoshop and just started blowing it up. And by golly, I found it. <laughs> you could see uh, it was a little obscured by the railing and so forth, but you could definitely see one of the the tines or the, you know, the anchor yeah. parts and, and, and a part of the shaft. And so that we definitely established that was... <laughs> An anchor that could have been there and, prob- and probably was. Yeah, yeah, but we're just not sure which steamboat. Which steamboat, yeah. yeah. Whether it was, you know, it began life with the Mini and then mm-hmm. later went to the Margaret or not. Mm-hmm. Because the Mini Lily only lasted until 1889. From 1884 to 1889, the, the Mini Lily, and then a, part of that time, a smaller steamboat called the Modoc were basically Gauger's fleet. In the winter, they were moored on the bank of the Kankakee River at the mouth of Baker Creek. Where's, no, where's Baker? Baker Creek, Creek, if you come down Walden Road from Kankakee and just, just past uh, Grace Baptist Church, mm-hmm. yeah. there's a little there's a bridge there, there's a little waterway. Yes. That's Baker Creek. Okay. Apparently, uh, one of the boats was hit by lightning in November and caught fire, of course, and the fire spread to the other one, and they were totally destroyed. And so there's a lot of concern whether, uh, you know, uh, was uh, Captain Billy going to continue his business, build a new boat, or was he just going to give up and say, now nah, get there by road, <laughs> that sort yeah. of thing. Debated for a while, but in February of ni- 1898, the newspapers carried stories that work has begun on a new 
vote for Captain Gallagher. It took, oh, I guess about six months, maybe roughly, to build this boat. It was, uh, and this was a, a stern steam, uh, steam wheeler, a stern wheeler instead of a side, which I think is a little more powerful. And I think the the wheel in this case is about 12 feet in diameter, but I'm not quite sure. I remember seeing that number. We have a, a wonderful series of photographs in our collection of the construction of that boat. Oh, that's cool. There's probably a dozen or more that see it from the time they laid the keel till they, after they had the hull complete and they decked it over and had the engines in place and so forth, they launched the boat without its second story in the pilot house and so forth just to do trial runs and make sure Just to make sure out. everything was... Was working, working and, right, and yeah. uh, watertight and exactly. all that. Did they build that locally then, build Margaret? It right, right down at, at Cheeky's Landing. <laughs> oh, wow. Who was the person that built it then? There Who was did... a, a veteran boat builder from Chicago, I believe. I even have his name someplace, but he was apparently quite well known. They brought him down here to build it. And uh, the keel was a, a large white oak piece of, of timber that had been... Uh, Cut, I think, right across the river somewhere, up maybe toward limestone somewhere. Plenty of trees down. around. Plenty so. of trees around at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so by... Uh, and you got a sawmill right across the way? Sawmill right next door, <laughs> yeah. which was very good. <laughs> yeah, the uh, on the 25th of July, 1898, the uh, the Margaret went in service. Captain Galger launched, launched the christened and, and launched it. And originally he was... Uh, Going to call, uh, I think he said he was going to call it the something or other gentleman or, you know, the, the partying gentleman or something like that. But then he decided to call it the Margaret, which supposed, apparently was his sister's name. Uh, he and his sister never married, and they lived on River, 202 River Street, which is probably right about River and Dearborn. And she was his housekeeper and so forth. So apparently that was the Margaret. We've also seen variations of the spelling of the name, and I'm not sure. Sometimes M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T and sometimes I-T. You can see the, the name label on one of the pictures of the boat, and it was E-T. Uh, so the I-T probably slipped in as a uh, typographical error in some story early on about it. <laughs> probably. So he just built the one boat then, and I'm guessing the Margaret that was built was a lot bigger than was, the other two. Yeah, it was, I believe, something like, 85 feet or so long and 60 feet wide or just from no, the four, picture you recently yeah the picture you recently sent me it just looks enormous yeah <laughs> it, it had a capacity it had two decks and it had a capacity of about 400 passengers oh yeah that's big and for most of the year for as long as the river was free of ice and there was business to be had at galgers grove uh, the boats ran i think usually several trips a day because they would leave cheeky's landing and head upstream all the way to Gargers Grove, unload, reload passengers coming back. And I think sometimes in busy seasons, maybe in, on an hourly or every other hourly basis, it was not that, not that long a voyage. I think it's about four miles from one to the other. Yeah, so that's not that bad. Gargers Grove was a basically outdoor. There were tents and cabins for rent and, uh, you know, and so forth. So winter weather would not <laughs> work out very well there. So but, whatever uh, happened to Margaret then? It uh, slightly outlived Galger. It went out of service in 1915 because the by 
about that period of time, the excursion business had kind of died out. Automobiles were becoming popular. People were, would go out and drive out to the country on their own instead of going on an excursion to by train and boat and so forth. They so, have a private excursion yes. <laughs> instead of yeah. a public one. Exactly. And so it, it, generally it kind of dwindled down. It was not so busy and he put tied it up again at the uh, Breaker Creek where he for some reason that was up, that was upstream of his uh, or downstream of Valgers Grove. So, and I think he retired at the end of the 1915 season. And by a year later, when he died, he died in November of 1916, I believe. The newspaper commented that the boat was decaying; it was falling apart. Not if there was ever any anything other. The bell, I believe, the bell from that is in the museum collection. Oh, we do have the yeah. bell. Is there anything else from Margaret? Not really. Just I say we have some couple of models of the Margaret and the Mini Lily that were made by avid model builders in town. They're quite impressive. They have a lot of detail and so forth. I'm not sure if we have anything else, but I know that you know for sure we have the anchor back, of course, and uh, I'm quite sure we have the bell, the ship's bell. So let's talk more about what was Galger's the actual grove like, since we've okay. kind of talked about the. The steamboat. Okay, uh, steam I think maybe boats, I should say. first I'm going to insert another an midway stop on the oh, okay. Captain Galger's voyages. The from 1887 until 1897, the Hotel Riverview at which is what is now Cobb Park, was the intermediate stop on his excursions. It had been built as a, quite an elegant hotel, owned uh, by Emory Cobb and. Illinois Central and uh, the Big Four Railroads. And they did a lot, talking about excursions, they would bring whole excursion trains or people down on excursions and would uh, come to the Hotel Riverview and have a big time and so forth. And they would ride Calgary steamboats back and forth. Unfortunately, in 1897, the tall three-story wooden hotel burned down and was never rebuilt. It was right. It would have been right at the About near the way. entrance of Cobb Park, basically. Galger during that same period was very active, in addition to his tourism business, as a uh, politically and civic activities. He was postmaster of Kankakee for a short period. Yeah, he spent 18 years on the county board and 21 years on the city council in Kankakee, apparently at the same time, because they would have run out of years somewhere in there. Wow, yeah. Uh, You couldn't do that this day and age. (laughs) I don't think you could manage it, no. (laughs) Well, I don't think that would be allowed to to be on both the city council and the county board. I I, I think legally you could be. Really, you could? I think so. I think so. I didn't think they would allow that Uh, this day and age. That'd be uh, we have to consult to the state's attorney and see sometimes. I would be curious to know if you could sit as a an alderman and also on the <laughs> on the, the county, county board, board as a supervisor. Yeah, to me that would be a conflict of interest. But yeah, both elected positions. So. They are both elected positions. Yeah. He also was a member of the Kankakee School Board at various times. In 1892, he was appointed mayor of Kankakee when. Uh, P.J. Kelly, the incumbent, died, and he finished out his term. I don't think he ran for re-election. But, so he was very active, and, of course, you know, he would have encountered Cobb and Lilly and all the, oh, all all the other guys. local business people, prominent people, all probably belonged to the same clubs and hung around the same places and so forth. Obviously, they played poker together. <laughs> yeah, I think so. so. Yes. <laughs> that's... Yeah, that's right. Selling, selling a, a riverboat. Yeah. My <laughs> but, gosh. But— uh, 
anyway, yeah, Gonger's Grove was amazing. It was wooded. And, of course, if you go out along Waldron Road today and uh, between Baker Creek and Aroma Park, all that stretches along between there and the river are all nicely wooded and they have a lot of really fine homes. There are different subdivisions like Old Orchard and Island View and and so forth. So, and, yeah, present day now, where would <coughs> Cowgirls Grove have been then? Is it yeah. is it developed or is it still oh, yeah. just wooded? And oh, it's all subdivided. It's subdivisions, all, yeah. Okay, so what are the subdivisions? Okay, this basically north of, and I've forgotten the name of the sub, but north of Island View, which roughly, uh, if you know where the little uh, section of Forest Reserve right on Walden Road, to the west of there, between there and the, and the river. And he, as I said, he had about 80 acres I'm not quite sure how far north he went. He did not go all the way to Baker Creek, but when it was fully developed, it had a lot of things going on. For example, there was a clubhouse, which was a two-story wooden structure, very nice. It actually was sort of a small hotel or a rooming house kind of thing where you could rent rooms for, if you're, because people would go not just for a day, like day trippers, like many of the excursionists were. People would also spend a week or sometimes even a month there. Or, at Galgers Grove. The clubhouse was one type of accommodation. There also were cabins and tents that you could rent for varying periods. They also would, and I'm not sure exactly how this handled, but I think for those who were in the tents and so forth that were dealing with, they could able, were able to do their own cooking and so forth over, you know, open fire, I guess. They made arrangements for groceries to be delivered from the Kankakee grocery stores and so forth to, to there. You could order them. And I would guess that in the clubhouse there was probably a, a meal service of some sort. No I'm sure there was a kitchen. The, yeah, yeah, there had to be. Mm-hmm. There had to be a kitchen for those oh, yeah. people. And there was a lot of things. There were a lot of things to do there, also. So uh, I would imagine what swimming. Oh yeah, there was a, a sand beach with a, a, a bathhouse for people to change and so forth. Now, did he probably? There's not naturally sand to there, right? He would have had to haul in sand. Yeah, he would right? hauled in. Yeah, because okay. that's a mud bank there. If you've ever been on along the river in that area, it's kind of a depending on where you are, it's fairly sharply dropping off, and it's yeah, tree roots and. Uh, and mud. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. so you had a sand beach and there was also a uh, a water slide or not a large slide you could slide down and splash into the water. Mm-hmm. You called it the shoot the shoots. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned the pony rides, right? Pony rides, yes. Uh-huh. And there were uh, you could rent canoes and rowboats and do your own voyaging on the river if you I wanted to. I saw that uh, toboggan, right? Yeah. They, they had no, toboggans called, or No, I talked about a toboggan slide, but I think that was probably the the water slide thing. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I, I remember the the advertisement you sent me. Yes, I could have swore right. it said toboggan. It did say toboggan, and I'm yeah. not sure where that fit in because uh-huh. if there was anything going on in the wintertime, it might have been ice skating, you know. Okay, but, so uh, yeah. If they there was had, no right. real elevation for a, a toboggan. toboggan. It was nothing like Helgeson Park. Uh, right. <laughs> did they offer... Hunting, maybe? I don't think so there. No? They did have a shooting gallery a shooting okay. and a bowling alley. They had a bowling alley. Bowling alley. That's impressive. And a merry-go-round. And one of the other large, larger structures on the grounds was a dance pavilion, a 60 by 80 feet dance pavilion. And they brought in orchestras or local bands and orchestras played there on a regular basis. 
It was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, it cracked me up how in that advertisement right next to the, the dance floor or whatever, it put the dimensions yes. and that's on the advertisement. And to me, that's just seems kind of funny because I don't know if you see that this day and age. Like how, yeah. to put, you just put dance. We, we have a dance floor. I don't know if yes. they necessarily put in the advertisement. It's no. exactly this big. That's right. <laughs> Another attraction at Gallagher's Grove was something called the Marquette Tree. I don't know if you ever heard anything about it. This was a huge, probably 400-year-old oak tree. It was massive. The the trunk probably was maybe six feet across, (laughs) and it was just huge. Anyway, local legend, and I'm not sure when the legend started, was that Pierre Marquette, uh, Father Jacques Marquette, who was... Jesuit missionary and explorer and man who f- determined the course of the Mississippi River than it, where it was heading south in 1672, which is a long time ago. Supposedly, uh, at the time, at that time, people heading for the, the Mississippi River or back toward the, what was the site of Chicago uh, would come up the Illinois River and make a portage across a very marshy difficult area of several miles from the Des Plaines River, which was part of the Illinois, to the Chicago River. And it was a terrible portage and had, you know, just really strange. Supposedly, after Marquette founded some missions in near Utica, Illinois, on the Illinois River, he became ill and his crew said, oh, we got to take him back to St. Ignace up at the north end of uh, of Michigan, uh, Lake Michigan, or what's now the state of Michigan, which was kind of the headquarters for, you know, uh, explorers and so forth. Supposedly, instead of going up the Dis- Illinois, the Des Plaines, and making this arduous Chicago portage, or Mud Lake portage, it was called, they went the other way. Instead of going up the Des Plaines, they came up the Kankakee. And then because there's a relatively short and a lot less complicated portage just south of South and just near South Bend, Indiana, where you can go the headwaters of the Kankakee and you portage across to the St. Joseph River and then you can get to Lake Michigan, which is where they wanted to go. That's where yeah, they didn't want to go they didn't need to go through Chicago. That's right. Yeah. So there was a there's a specific tree that apparently Mark had Yes, supposedly they they camped under that one night on on the journey northward to save the missionary from the more arduous passage through Mud Lake. And so again, local a local legend. Local yeah, legend says yes. How this can is, you possibly have? Proof yeah, because I don't that. think there were any diaries or anything that said that. But anyway, it does oh, that so would be the only way, right? That would be the only way you would have any yeah, type of right. evidence. To, it would have to be um, a Marquette diary or someone that was yeah, with the, Marquette. The, the Jesuit relations, which were these collections of diaries from the uh, and reports from the various missionaries, but I don't think it's ever that ever. It was always kind of questionable. Yeah. They may have gone up the other way anyway, but... Some people create local legends like that to just get people to <laughs> go check out things, right? So Might have been Captain Billy. <laughs> I was just going to say that something Captain Billy invented or anyone, a part of his yeah, business well, yeah. maybe came up with... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and I know for sure he certainly gave it prominence. He built a uh, iron fence, a wrought iron fence. Around like six the tree? And a half feet, yeah, you know, square one, probably, I don't know, 12 feet on each side. And put some benches so that people could come and sit in the shade of the Marquette tree and so forth. Uh, one picture we have, in fact, shows uh, two nuns sitting in, uh, under on the, the tree on the bench under the tree. Yes. Oh, yeah. I bet the, the nuns loved that tree. I think so. Yeah, with, the, <laughs> with the Marquette connection. Yep. It outlasted Cap'n Billy quite a while, in fact, uh, and Gulliver's Grove. Gulliver's Grove, I think, sort of petered out somewhere in the... After Gauger had died. So, yeah, after Captain Gauger died, did someone buy or take on? Or, well, no, he didn't have any kids. That's no, he right. didn't have any children. No, I think the, his estate sold the property, and it, which became then subdivisions over the years. Very interesting. So it would have been after the 20s that maybe they started building houses Oh, yeah, there? I think so. But back to the Marquetry. Big, big windstorm on November 6th, 1934, blew the tree over. And we have uh, some photographs of the trunk after the a uh, lot of the limbs have been cut off to set, you know, because they were cutting it up for firewood. But you can see a section of the fence still standing upright on one side. But if you look under the trunk, there's this mangled section of fence, very definitely part of the fence. So it took down at least one side, maybe two sides of it. The... Journal, my journal column for the Christmas weekend has an interesting story about the mystery of the Marquette tree. That whole story will be in the, the journal on the 24th. Okay, cool. <laughs> and, That's uh, always good to uh, have something to look forward to. Yeah. Well, okay, another th- relation to the uh, Gauger's Grove. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Chautauqua assemblies. Yes, we briefly talked about those. I think it was when we talked about Hotel Riverview, I think. Or no, no, it was yeah, Electric, Electric Park. Park. That's right, Electric Park. We yeah. touched on those. Yeah, That's so right. just briefly for anyone that yeah. hasn't listened to that episode yet, what is a Chautauqua? Yeah. Chautauqua movement started in the state of New York, and in fact, I think town of Chautauqua, New York. And what it was was kind of a cultural uplift kind of movement, sort of a summer camp. They ran about 10 days week to 10 days in various locations, various towns that they found a sponsor. And they would normally be outdoors under a big tent or if possible. And there were motivational speakers, for example, and there were discussions, there were literary discussions, musical events, all kinds of uplifting, interesting kind of things. And it was really something to do and drew pretty good-sized crowds. Uh, and from September, let's see, from 1901 to 1915, the Chautauqua in Kankakee was held at Gowder's Gro- Grove under a big white tent. Had some pretty interesting speakers. Uh, William Jennings Bryan, who was, of course, a very prominent politician in the late 1800s, uh, unsuccessful presidential candidate, and so forth. Carrie Nation, who was a crusade, temperance crusader, went around, uh, I think, uh, trying to uh, destroy bars and taverns and so forth. <laughs> oh, part of uh, probably Prohibition then, too. I th- yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, earlier than Prohibition, but leading up to it. Leading up to it, yeah. And then Helen Keller, the uh, inspirational woman who was uh, blind, of course, and was a very prominent and 
revered figure in society at that time. And uh, there is a marker a number of years ago, quite a few years ago, 1950s or 60s, I believe, Martin Vanderkar, who was the township road commissioner in Roma Township, took on a project to put out historical signs in various places around Aroma Township that marked the sites of various things. For example, uh, there's a one up right as Walden Road turns and heads into the end of the village. Uh, there's a sign that that was the Rakestraw Cabin was the first school in Kankakee County. Oh, wow. In the 1830s or somewhere, maybe late 1920s. And I think a lot of the signs are gone now, but there was one in the first post office that was up by Mount Langham. But there is still a uh, Gawker's Grove sign on Walden Road on the right hand. It's not real prominent, but it's there. This looks a little different from the ones that Merton did, so somebody may have redone it. But uh, there were a lot of them around. It's too bad that they didn't survive. I'm going to have to go for a drive and see if I can find that. Yeah, it'll be on the right-hand right hand side before you, get, before you get to the Island View subdivision. Okay. So it's pretty interesting. That is very interesting. Uh, it'd be so. really nice if somebody had the wherewithal and the interest in building a maybe a half-sized replica of the, the mini or the, or the Margaret and running river excursions again. I don't know if that would ever come about. <laughs> that, that would tie be... in real nice with the uh, the the riverfront project. Rock. Yeah, the river well, walk. Maybe yeah. I ought to talk to Bill Yonka and well, see if he'd do that. I was just gonna say, I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna talk to Bill about that and see if we can get a uh, yeah, get Minnie Lily or Margaret yeah. uh, back on the water. There is one sort of excursion boat operating on the river in the summertime. Yeah, is at that... the Bradley House. Yeah, does that guy? What's his name? I can't remember his name. But, but does a, he a, still do his pontoon I think boat so. excursions? I'm not. I'm not up to date on that, but I think he was. A, or whether the you know COVID thing which threw everything off. Yeah, I know Bradley House is finally back this year to full operation again. But for two years, there was just everything was kind of down the tubes. I think I've seen a sign out front there, but whether that's still current or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, I have to find out. That's a good, uh, it's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I'll find out about other. that soon. No, I think I've kind of run out of topic. <laughs> yeah, I think we covered... Uh, uh, yeah, information covered on this topic anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think we covered a good chunk of it. So just to remind people again, if you're listening to this episode before the end of the year, the Gallery of Trees is up until... Probably the 30th, I yes, think. Yes, 30th, yeah. The, December not, 30th. I don't think we're open on New Year's Eve. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think the, the museum is open on New Year's Eve. But uh, you go check out the Gallery of Trees. And uh, there's over 25 trees, or it's about 25 different Christmas trees. I think so, trees. yeah, 25 to 30, but I think, yes. yes. Somewhere in there. It's all spread throughout the Kankakee County Museum. If you want to get more information about the hours or anything museum-related, you always go to kankakeecountymuseum.com, Facebook, and Instagram. Those are both at Kankakee County Museum. And or there's an always... Old-fashioned telephone call. Old-fashioned yeah. telephone. Nine three two five two seven nine, if I remember correctly. Okay. So, yeah, there's mm. there's plenty of different ways to contact the museum. And, of course, always be on the lookout for Jack Clasey's weekly column in the Daily Journal every uh, Saturday Every edition. Saturday. Every weekend edition. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I, also uh, every issue of the Lifestyles magazine. Yes, you always have an I interesting have a, one piece story in, that. in there too. And that's uh, every 
two months. Every other month, right? right. Yes. Every other month, Every there's other a new month. edition of Lifestyles. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a, a great uh, local magazine that is always well put together by Taylor, Ledden, and well, the entire Daily Journal staff. So, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that covers it. Jack, it's, it's always an honor. So thank you for doing this. It's always a pleasure to be here and uh, have somebody who's willing to listen to me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm always, my ears are always open for you, Jack. So you always have the best stories. Thank you, sir. That concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. I should also mention there is a unedited extended version of this episode available to our monthly patrons. To unlock this version, go to kankakeepodcast.com, click on the patron tab, and uh, even if you can't pledge $20 a month to hear the extended versions of episodes and can only pledge $1 a month, please do so. It goes a long way and your pledge is truly appreciated. I'd like to thank our current patrons for helping make today's episode possible, which includes Karen Bishop, Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenault, Dave Barron, Daryl Damper, Samantha Rocknowski, John Sullivan, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Don Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Carrie O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Barry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Carl Erps, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Dreenan, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. Again, click on the patron tab at kankakeepodcast.com. And if you if you uh, want to make a monthly pledge to help keep the podcast going, please do so. I can't thank you enough for your support. And if you ever want to reach out to me with any questions, you can always connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Kankakee Podcast. Our theme song was written and performed by Lupe Carroll and recorded by Daniel Bishop. This river can-